This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Here in the Northern Rockies, dark winter months are outlasted in basements, dens, and nooks, where kindred souls gather together to share intel, swap fly patterns, and relive the memories from seasons past. This gathering spot known locally as the February Room is the inspiration for this podcast. No matter the season, the door is always open to those with a fly fishing story to tell. Brought to you by CD Fishing USA, the North American distributor for composite development fly rods and accessories. 40 years of Kiwi ingenuity and graphite technology now available at cd-fishing.us or your local CD USA dealer. Follow us on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook. And remember to go fishing. Here's your host, the Carnops, and this is the February Room. My first job upon moving to Montana in 2005 was in the uh, fishing department of the then newly established Sportsman's Warehouse. Uh, this store attracted a hodgepodge of outdoor-oriented folks and many of them uh, went on to do some really cool things. Um, some of them still work there, and several of them became lifelong friends. Uh, I first met my guest today during his brief stint at the fishing department of Sportsman's Warehouse, and uh, he went on to establish a very successful outfitting business uh, in his home state of Alaska. I'm looking forward to reconnecting. Uh, Mark Wackler, welcome to the February Room. Hey, thanks, Justin. It's it's good to hear your voice again, and it's good to be here. Yeah, man, it's cool. You know, uh, love it or hate it, social media um, does have some benefits. And, uh, you know, kind of I kept in touch with what you've done via, like, Facebook and Instagram and stuff. And um, fortuitously, we reconnected here. So so this is good, man. I'm excited yeah. to uh, to chat with you. And before we dive into your background and uh, and your business and your advocacy for fish, uh, do you have a fishing story you can share with us today? When I was thinking about this, I was like, you know, I really, I started realizing I really 
kind of categorize my fishing memories into different like you know little boxes and and I have like my memories from when I was a kid and then I have memories from my guiding career I have memories you know like buddy fishing with friends you know and then I have memories with my family and my kids and my wife fishing and for some reason when I was trying to come up with like something to talk about on this story those memories of fishing with my family just keep coming to the surface for me. Um, and I don't have any like epic story to tell about them, but you know, just like my oldest son is really the one that kind of took fishing on and really, you know, it's a big hobby for him. And so the experience of, of teaching him how to fish and fly fish and, and nowadays, you know, he's a, he's a very mature 19 year old now. And, uh, He's still, every time he comes into town, every time we get together, you know, that's one of the things that we always try to get together and do. And so, you know, he's getting to be a pretty, pretty decent fly angler. And, and, uh, you know, we've gone out a few times and he's caught some pretty darn nice trout. And I'll tell you what, nobody gets more excited about a big trout than Eli, my oldest son does. So, so that for some reason, even though it's not like an epic story, stuff like that sticks into my mind. There's another time where we went on a camping trip and decided to hike up a creek and had my my youngest kids I have so I have three kids um and you know at the time they're you know early teenagers I guess is what they were and uh you know kind of some my two youngest are they like to fish but they're a little bit reluctant you got to drag them out they always have fun when they go but you know they're typical teenage kids that you know like oh dad I don't know it's kind of cold or whatever <laughs> so so you know we got them out there and um it just so happened the weather was perfect. The grayling were like on top eating flies and you could visually see them. And as you know, when you get like the visual plus the top water plus, you know, being successful catching them. And um, so that was a pretty cool moment for me. And then probably the most recent one, um, my middle child, his name's Ty, um, probably the most reluctant of the, of the fishers, <laughs> uh, <laughs> for whatever reason this summer it was like you know dad i don't know i've never caught a king and i was like well a lot of people have never caught a king but do you want to catch a king we can try it's not you know it's not a guarantee of course but he was like all fired up about going all of a sudden so went out on a on an afternoon in a private boat and with him and and my wife and uh got lucky he got to catch a nice king and and release it and we have it on video and so I don't know. There's something about those those memories with my family that that stand out to me. And yeah, for sure. And uh, and fishing is uh, is your family business, um, you, right? Your dad was a was involved in in a lodge in Alaska, correct? Yeah, that's right. And that's kind of how I how I got into fishing, I guess. Um, but yeah, my dad owned a fishing lodge. Um, on the Kenai River in Soldatna, where I'm from. And and then my uncle was also a, a, a guide on the Kenai River. I will say that I don't think any of them had the bug as bad as I do, but they definitely were the ones that led me down this path and got me going. And um, yeah, here I am in my 40s, still <laughs> still got the bug, still as sick with the fish and fever as ever, I guess. Well, that's excellent. Um, the the Kenai is is hollowed waters uh, for salmon salmon anglers. Um, uh, I think it still is holds the the world record. Is that right? 
Yes, sir. Yep. Record King Salmon came, yeah, just a few miles downstream from where I live. Um, and it still stands. And man, I don't know. I haven't seen any evidence that it's going to be broken anytime soon. <laughs> it was a 97 pound fish I read on your website. Yeah. 97 pounds, Jeez. four ounces. Pretty cool. A local guy caught it, which, uh, and, and the craziest part about that fish, if you, if people, for people that are familiar with the Kenai river have come here and fished, the peak timing to go uh, fishing for king salmon and to have your best chance of catching a big, big king salmon is in July. Um, there's fish that come in May and June um, and occasionally some big fish, but July is really that target of, hey, I, I want to have my best chance of catching a big king. I'm going to come from July 10th to July 31st, and, and that's probably going to give you your best odds. The, the world record king salmon was caught on May 17th. Which is, I mean, nowadays, there's barely any fish in the river on May 17th. I mean, you go out there in almost some day, some years, it still looks half like winter out there. So to think of this, like, nine, almost 100-pound king swimming up this little trickle of a Kenai River, you know, before it's really started to fill up for the summer in May, uh, in early mid or mid-May, I mean, that's, it's, that part's crazy to anyone who, who knows the river and knows that story that it's just unbelievable. Well, and, and also uh, the fact that the guy was geared up to land it, because if he was fishing that early, he may not even have been targeting Kings. Was he, do you know the story or? Well, he was targeting Kings. The, the story goes, um, he was out there with a friend and just, you know, private, he's just a private angler that used to go before work a little bit, or he'd go after work sometimes. And I think this was a before work story. And, um, yeah, hooked up the name of the, the hole that he hooked it up in is called honeymoon cove. And I'm sure this fish drug him around all over the place, but, um, tried to net it. And apparently the net wasn't big enough or some people say that it broke through the net. I don't know for sure, but I could see how, especially in the, you know, this is in the eighties. Um, the equipment wasn't as, you know, as it hasn't hadn't come right. along as far as it has now. So, you know, nets and rods and reels and line and all this stuff, you know, I'm sure he was, you know, not working with the tools we're working with today. But the, the story goes that, you know, he couldn't net it. And so he ended up having to drag it up on the bank. And then um, after dragging it up on the bank, him and his buddy, I think they fished a little while longer. He threw it in the back of his pickup truck after they were done fishing, drove it into town, showed it off to some of his friends. He wasn't even going to get it weighed. And then somebody said, man, that's a really, that could be the record. You might want to go have that weighed. And so I guess it had been several hours between the time when he caught it and when he actually had it weighed. So of course the rumors are all out there that this was definitely was a fish over a hundred pounds. If he would have brought it in right away, I don't know about that, but, um, but still a crazy story. And, um, yeah, Les Anderson was the guy that, uh, that caught that fish. So I have never fished the Kenai. Um, you have graciously invited Lauren and I up to come this summer, and we are super pumped. Um, Same. Oh, man, it's going to be awesome. I'm already yeah, counting yeah. the days. Um, <laughs> yeah, we got a lot for, of planning, and we got a lot to talk about. But uh, Yeah, we do. Yeah, I'm excited too, man. Cool. Well, thanks again. We are stoked. Um, to, to somebody that's never seen it, never fished it, can you kind of describe the river and the fishery for us? Yeah, for sure. So um, I would say that it's not too much of a stretch to say that the Kenai River is the best salmon and trout river in the world that's on a road system. 
Now, of course, there's some there's some fisheries off of the road system that you could say, you know, trump the Kenai, but you have to fly into in a little plane to get out in the middle of nowhere and, you know, either pay a lot of money to stay in a fancy lodge or rough it or whatever. The Kenai is on the road system. You know, you can fly into Anchorage and within a few hours be fishing on the Kenai. And that's that's what's pretty unique about it. Um, of course, it's it's what probably threatens the river as well, but it's what makes it such a cool destination for people. You can, you can fly in a commercial jet in a few hours, be on the river um, and have as, you know, the Alaskan experience, you know, without, without having to spend as much money as you would have to in a, in one of those lodges out in Bristol Bay or something like that. Um, the Kenai is a really unique kind of an aqua or emerald green color, um, which makes for really good pictures and really just attracts a lot of people to it. I think, you know, you see it in photos and it's just like, wow, I got to see that. And when you see it, it's worth it, man. It's a really cool, cool spot. Um, now, when I say it's, you know, it's a great fishery, it is a great fishery, but just like pretty much everywhere else in the Pacific Ocean right now, our king salmon are struggling. Um, they're struggling bad. And and it's it's really too bad because the king salmon, you know, because the world record was caught here because of the, the, the crazy unique genetics that we have on our king salmon, it's probably what made this area famous. Um, and so the fact that those fish are really struggling hard right now is a bummer for for our community. It's a bummer for the culture here. Um, but with that being said, you know, I think it sometimes that king salmon fishery being on the downturn gives the Kenai River a bad rap. And it's, you know, people act like, oh, the Kenai is, you know, the downfall of the Kenai or whatever. It's really not. The All the other runs, the sockeye run, the silver run, the pink salmon, the... Um, and then the rainbow trout fishery are all, I mean, as good as they've ever been. Of course, there's some years where things are a little better than others based on, you know, conditions on that year or whatever. But on average, we still have a, an epic fishery here and we're very lucky to, to have it. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I'm excited to show it to you. Yeah. Um, so what does the science kind of uh, tell us um, in regards to the decline of the of the king salmon, whereas, as you mentioned, the sockeyes um, and, and the pinks and some of the other species seem to be hanging in there? Well, I, I, the first thing I'll say is that I can tell you my opinion or whatever, but sure. there, there's not there's not a an agreement necessarily on the science right now. Um Another misconception I think that that you hear all the time is that there's something specific about the Kenai River that's wrong, which is the reason why the king salmon population is down. But logically, that doesn't make any sense, because if it was specific to the Kenai River, you would see strong runs on other rivers around the state right now, and you just don't see that. You don't see strong king salmon. I mean... Even in where you're from Oregon, right? So the yeah. even in even in Oregon, Washington and some of those other rivers, pretty much every wild king salmon run across the Pacific Ocean right now is not doing great. Right. Um, so it's probably not something specific to the Kenai River. When people start trying to say, Oh, there's there's too many fishermen or oh, there's the trout are eating up all the king salmon eggs or any of that kind of stuff, I kinda have to, you know, take a step back and say, Hold on. If that were the case why does the rivers in 
rural Alaska that barely any fishermen go to or that there are virtually no trout in, why are they struggling as well? It's got to be something bigger. It's got to be something out there in the Gulf of Alaska at minimum, probably the whole Pacific Ocean. Um, a lot of people want to blame um, trawling, which there's some evidence that that could be a big deal. Those those guys that go out there and, and are, they're primarily fishing for pollock, but the bycatch on, you know, halibut, king salmon, crab, some of the other species that they're not quote unquote targeting is pretty massive. And uh, a lot of people uh, point to that. Um, I heard you talking with Mark uh, Hieronymus the other day on one of your, on your podcast. And uh, he mentioned the pink salmon populations. That's another, another pretty strong theory. Uh, Pink salmon populations are there. The wild pink salmon population and the hatchery pink salmon population right now is booming. And that's a lot of fish. I mean, there's billions of them out there in the ocean and they eat, primarily the same food that king salmon eat um so so that could could have something to do with it um hmm. you know i if you watch uh the show what's the show that jeremy wade does but uh the river monsters river monster yeah he did a show on kind of checking out king salmon on around alaska and he pointed towards orca whales and you know predation of orca whales you know i'm not saying that's not possible but I, I per- personally think it's probably a combination of all of those things mentioned and more, you know, and of course, just simple ocean conditions, you know, the warmer right. water, all that kind of stuff. It, it's probably a combination of a lot of things. Um, so, uh, but you can ask 10 guys and get 10 different answers and they can all be really smart scientific guys too. Sure. Sure. So was was Jeremy Wade suggesting that there were more orcas now than there used to be? Is that I think I think he was suggesting there were more orcas and that the the thing that's unique about orcas is that they don't they're selective in what they eat. They prefer to eat the largest salmon. I, it's probably a calorie per effort ish thing, you know. Um, but they specifically target the largest salmon that they can find. And so you know, not only do we have less salmon or less king salmon, I should say, um, the average size of the king salmon that we're seeing are, is shrinking. So, so that that could explain some of that, I guess. Uh, but yeah, that that was his theory. It, it is like a, is a fifty pounder a pretty a pretty rare fish these days, or what's kind of the what's kind of the average scale of kings that you're seeing on the Kenai? Yeah, I mean, I'd still say that if a guy had the had a lifelong goal of catching a 50 pound king the kenai river is probably still the place that gives you as good as chances anywhere in the world but 15 years ago that i would have said 70 pounder you know what i mean wow okay and you know i think or or 60 pounder at least you know there you'd see 60s and 70s occasionally now don't get me wrong these are still kings these are still they're not easy to catch the big ones get off a lot they're i mean i think sometimes we like to you know you get a lot of revisionist history and act like oh yeah we used to limit out on 70 pounders every day no 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 it was never like that (laughs) catching catching kings on the kenai has always been a uh (laughs) something that can frustrate the best fishermen uh, any day of the week, but yeah, the numbers are definitely down and the average size is definitely down. We have, uh, the five-year ocean fish. So, you know, for people that don't know about King Salmon life history, 
they're a little different than some of the other species in that there's a wide variety of, of ages that enter the river when they spawn. So some of them are, we call them jacks, one or two year ocean fish. So they spend a year or so in the river, get to be, you know, five, six inches long, and then go out to the ocean and grow and get big. Um, if they come back in one or two years, they're little guys. If the, most of the fish that come back to the river are three and four year ocean fish, which put them in that, I don't know, 20, 20 to 40 or so pound class. And then those five-year ocean fish or bigger, five, six, there's rumors that I think the, the world record might have been a seven or eight-year ocean fish. But those five-plus-year ocean fish are the ones that make the Kenai River unique and make it you know, special from a genetic perspective. And those ones are less than 1% of the run now. So while Ooh. they're still out there, uh, you know, they're tougher and tougher to find. And, and whereas you maybe used to go fish your butt off and hope to catch a couple – 70 pounders throughout the course of the season. Now you do the same for a couple 50 pounders throughout the course of the season. Um, and you do see an occasional rare, you know, 70 pounder caught by somebody somewhere, someplace, sometime throughout the season. But boy, there, <laughs> there's not very many. Few and far between. Yeah. Um, so if you're going to target those Kings with a fly rod, mm-hmm. how would you, how would you set up for that on, you know, I, and I understand conditions, um, lots of variables, but, um, yeah. but if a guy were going to go up there for five days and try to get a King, um, how would you suggest he, he fish for him? Yeah. Well, so the Kenai river is a pretty, pretty good sized river and it's a, got a pretty, pretty heavy flow to it. So fly fishing for Kings is not an easy, it's hard enough to catch them with a big old wad of salmon eggs on there. So right. with the fly rod, it's the ultimate challenge, but it's doable. I mean, there's, there's a small group of guys that, that have got it down pretty good and can fish hard and long and catch a king or two, um, on the Kenai. Um, the best time to do it is earlier in the season before the river has gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. So, you know, basically the first half of June, I would say is probably the peak time to be able to have a chance to to swing a king. And that's the way most guys are doing it is with the big, you know, 10 to 12 weight, um, spay rod, um, a sinking, you know, a sink tip that matches the, the, the current they're fishing and, uh, swinging it across and letting it hang. I, it's incredible how many, and this is true with, if you, I'm sure you've done a little spay fishing, but, um, trout are similar. You, you can let that fly hang for a long time sometimes. And, and, and when you think you've hung, for too long, hang for 10 more, 10 more seconds. And now maybe you've hung long enough. And it's crazy how many times that flies just down there hanging and, and you get bites on the, on the straight hang, which is a very cool bite to get because it's a tight line. Um, I mean, it's just, I don't, you feel it all, you know, it's a, just a cool, cool bite, but yeah, big, um, you know, black, uh, chartreuse, purple, um, articulated flies swung across the river. And I, I think what happens, and you know, we don't get to see down, it's not clear water, so we don't get to see what's going on down there. But the way I envision it is those fish follow it across the run, hang behind it, think about it, and then grab on. Um, and occasionally you get some fish uh, that grab it across when it's coming across as well. But um, you catch a lot of them on the, on the, on the hang back. And yeah, it's, uh, you know, for when you're undergunned, no matter what you do, fishing from the bank for a king on the Kenai. Cause like I said, heavy, heavy, fast water, deep water, um, 
you're you're immobile for the most part standing on the bank so uh, they have to cooperate a little bit because right yeah you know if you hook a big one 50 pounder or so um standing on the bank and it wants to go downstream you there's app you're def, you're not going to stop it you just can't you know they have to they have to cooperate a bit so but yeah. yeah i watched my i witnessed my buddy hook about a 50 pounder we were on the connect dock oh yeah and this was this was a long time ago. Um, I don't know, probably 2006 or something. I, I think I just moved to Montana and then I went on this. I got invited on this trip and it was a DIY trip. My buddies had jet sleds stashed up in that little village up there, Quinnahawk. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we flew a bush plane out there and, and we camped on the beach and it was just an awesome trip. Um, I caught kings. I didn't hook one of the big ones. I wasn't set up properly. I had a spay rod, but it wasn't, you know, I wasn't dialed. Those guys had done it a bunch. Yeah. They were dialed in. Um, and, uh, and yeah, one of my buddies was fishing this run and he just hooked this massive silver beast. And I tell you, man, like I have seen, you know, I've seen big tarpon in the air. Um, <laughs> I've, I've caught a, a really big GT myself. I've, I've, caught sailfish and marlin and and that fish was the hardest fighting fish i have ever witnessed in my life and he had no (laughs) chance of landing it a 50 pound king in current fresh from the ocean might be the hardest fish to hang on to that there is yeah yeah i don't know that they can swim as fast or as a a, you know a a marlin or jump as high as a tarpon but boy the power they have it's a it just blows you away how how something underneath the water can pull as hard as they can pull. It's unbelievable. Oh, it was so fun to watch. I mean, he was just, you know, he was just completely screwed and he knew it. And he was just <laughs> laughing and enjoying the ride. And, and uh, yeah, it was really, it was really cool experience. Um, but that river is, uh, is more approachable. Um, you know, from the, from the swung fly standpoint, I think, than, than what I've heard, uh, your stream yeah. is. Yeah, we do, we do have a few, uh, neighboring rivers here that are more friendly for swinging flies for Kings. Um, the Kasilov is, is the one that comes to mind first. It's just down the 15 miles down the road from, from the Kenai there in Soldat, um, from Soldatna in, in the town of Kasilov. And, um, especially the early run of fish, very, you can be very successful swinging flies for Kings over there, um, given the right conditions and the right timing and everything. Um, but they're not going to be 50 pounders. They're going to be 15 <laughs> pounders, you know, 50 is too, <laughs> um, too much, man. That's like a 200 pound carpet. That's it's too much. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you mentioned my chat with Mark Hieronymus and, and um, uh, off the air, he's like, dude, if you're going up there, fish for rainbows hard. There are some huge rainbows in the Kenai. And I didn't really yeah. know that. Um, so could you tell me about the rainbow fishery? Yeah. You know, I, the story goes that the, the Kenai River really was a rainbow fishery before it was a salmon fishery. And that like when the Kenai River was discovered, it was primarily discovered, you know, on the upper stretches and, and rainbows were the first target fish. And I think nowadays, sometimes the salmon fishery overshadows the trout fishery, but our trout fishery, I mean, I, I've fished some, some awesome trout rivers. I've gone to Bristol Bay a couple of times. Um, I haven't fished all of them. I haven't hit the knack yet, which is some people think is, you know, the, the Mecca of the, of trout fishing, but 
but I've never seen trout fishing when you're talking about numbers and average size of fish any better anywhere in the world than I've seen on the keen eye when it's on. Um, you can have days where you catch where the boat, you know, we, we, we fish, you can fish up to four guys out of the boats. We do that a lot as guides. Um, it's a, a bit crowded, but you can do it because we're not having to make elaborate casts. We're prim- primarily nymphing and, uh, you know, kind of floating with the, with the drift. So you can, you can make it work with four guys and with four guys, you can, you can have days when those fish are biting where you can easily catch over a hundred trout and, 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 and in the mix, um, you know, there's a, there's some big fish mixed in, uh, 30 inches is the, is the target for like, you just caught, you know, that's what the, the 70 pound King, you know, (laughs) used to be, you know, uh, 30 inch trout is kind of that same, you know, it's that measuring stick of, Hey, I really, really caught something special, a once in a lifetime fish and 30 inches don't happen very often. There's a lot of 27 inches that get caught that people call 30 inches, but but a true 30 incher is something to behold, but the Kenai has them, man. Um, uh, I've been lucky enough to put my hands and shake hands with a few, a few 30 inch fish, um, and, and witness some guys do the same. Uh, it's they're they're amazing, but there's quite a few fish in that mid 20 inch range that, that you can have a very reasonable chance of catching, you know, those, some of them are 10 pounders, you know, I mean, they're big rainbows and wow. I don't want to act like that's the average size, but because they come in, you know, like I said, if you catch a hundred fish, they're going to be all the way from eight inches to, you know, 28 inches. Uh, but it's, it's a cool fishery. It's a very cool fishery. Um, we don't get the dry fly fishing quite like you guys get, uh, in Montana. Um, there are some dry fly opportunities, but they're, they're pretty short windows and they're kind of nichey little deals primarily we're uh you know long leaders big indicators beads flesh flies it's not purest fly fishing necessarily but that's okay um it's 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 pretty amazing yeah if you got a shot at a at a you know any any fish in the in the mid twenties is a, that's most people will never see a rainbow like that. We don't have them around here. I mean, you know, you're not going to catch a 25 inch rainbow around here in in one of these rivers. If you do, it's a, it's news. There's just in the newspaper. Yeah, we get so spoiled. We get so spoiled here. I, I'll never forget. I know. I, I think of these things all the time, but I'll be in the boat and we'll have one of those days. And a lot of the, of our guests, we get awesome people, a lot of beginner fishermen and a lot of people that they, they don't really know what they're, how lucky they are sometimes, you know what I mean? And they're in the middle of one of those days that I'm just freaking out about going, holy <laughs> cow, I cannot believe you guys are crushing them. This is unbelievable. And they're catching, you know, oh, 22 incher, 24 incher, 25 incher, 21 incher. And then they, then they hook an 18 incher and they're like, ah, it's just a little one. And I'm just shaking my head going, come, come on, man. There was one trip this, this past fall, late in the fall where the fishing just, everything clicked. We, we just, we cracked the code that day. The fish were biting. Everything was right. And we were catching one of the best big fish trips I'd ever had. And, uh, yeah, I think the guy hooked like a 22 and a half inch or something like that. And it's back there jumping around. And he, and he called it a small, he said, no, it's just a little one. Don't worry about it. And I, I was just, I, I had to, I had to stop for a second and have a little chat with him. Like, Hey, yeah, uh, 
you, let me tell you something real quick here. We go a lot of trips out here where that's the big fish of the day. So uh, let's let's soak this in and appreciate it for what it is, because this you guys are having about as good a day as it as it'll ever be out here. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes you do need to remind people. Yeah, yeah, in the right way, of course. Yeah, of of, <laughs> of course. But um, yeah, when you you know, I mean, relative to here, like you'll hear that kind of same thing when somebody catches like a thirteen inch. And it's like, well, I mean, you caught a wild trout on a dry fly on a slow day. Uh, I'd take it. I'd take it. No doubt. So, yeah. Mark, tell me about um, uh, Fish for the Future. Okay. Yeah. Fish for the Future is, um, it's an organization that I started, I was trying to remember, it's six or seven, seven years ago now, maybe. Um, And it was kind of in response to the downturn of, the king salmon runs up here. Um, What I was seeing on the river was the fishery was changing. The number of fish was changing. The size of the fish was changing, but the anglers weren't changing. People were still going out there catching and keeping every fish that they could, every king salmon that they could, despite the fact that we're having historically low runs. And I, I'll never forget, I had a day out on the water where fishing was just absolutely brutal for two weeks straight. You know, we were fishing hard to catch maybe one or two a day, some days not catching them. Um, and and then I had a day where I, I just got lucky. And all four of my clients caught nice big kings. They were all hens. I'll never forget. They were like, all of them were like 35 to 50 pound hens, which is a, those are a 50 pound hen is a really big female king salmon. Um, we call them hens. So you probably knew that maybe some of the listeners didn't. Um, sure. but, uh, I'm looking at them in the, in the fish box and on a normal day, I would have been high five and I would have been grinning ear to ear. And I wasn't, i just felt icky about it. You know what I mean? Just that feeling of like, this doesn't feel right to me anymore. I, my gut was just telling me I can't do this anymore. And so from that day on, I didn't, um, starting the very next season, my business went to a catch and release policy on King salmon. And, uh, you know, it, it took a little bit of time for people to embrace it, but for the most part, um, people did, they understood when you, when you give them the kind of the background and you educate them on the fishery, people generally are, you know, they're reasonable people and they understand and and they're happy with catching one, taking a picture for their memory and letting it go and giving it a chance to spawn and, um, and moving on. Uh, and that, and that I was, I wasn't the first to do that, but I was one of the first, one of only a couple few people doing it on the Kenai. And, um, and so, you know, it drew some attention. Um, and then I got interviewed about it by a newspaper uh, one day because they had heard somehow that I was doing that and they were doing a story about the declining King run. And for whatever reason, to kind of hold myself accountable, I, I told them, hey, I'm gonna st- next year I'm going to start a catch and release incentive program for King Salmon, a con- King Salmon conservation program. And so that kind of made me do it. And it started with... Uh, kind of a brainstorming with some buddies and um, what it turned into was pretty simple, just a Facebook page 
with a catch and release photo contest. And, and, and back then, the regulations were generally, not always, but generally, you could still keep one king a day of any size. And so if someone caught a king, say they caught a 60 pounder and they could, within regulation, uh, harvest that fish, but they chose not to, we would celebrate that. We'd, you know, they'd po- they could post it on our Facebook page. They'd get lots of likes and comments and, you know, virtual high fives. And, uh, and then, um, I got together with some local businesses and even some not local businesses and got some prizes donated and was able to give people prizes in different categories for, for, uh, for, you know, a selfless act of, of releasing a fish when they could have harvested it. Um, fast forward, you know, and that went really well. Um, fast forward to the last few years and the regulations have been off and on where you can, you can keep them sometimes, sometimes it's catch and release. Sometimes they close the fishery altogether. So the dynamics of the program have changed a little bit, but, um, but yeah, it was really embraced pretty, pretty good. And in a really controversial subject, I would say that the, the subject of catching and releasing King salmon on the Kenai river is about as, <laughs> I can controversial imagine. as you can get here in our community. Um, it's getting less controversial now, um, but it was very controversial. So considering that it was embraced really well, a lot of support, um, very happy with it, with, with all that. Um, so, and part of the reason for that, I think is just the general message of some of the other organizations out there that are, that are quote unquote, you know, that represent sport fishermen, they would attack things like commercial fishing and say, Oh, those commercial fishermen need to stop catching them. They would, you know, they, it, it was more of a, um, a preachy thing rather than just to promote what you believe in type of thing. And, and I really made sure that we stayed on message. Like we're not going to point fingers at anyone, even people that are keeping King salmon when they're right, when they're under regulation can do so. I'm not going to criticize them. That's not, that's not my role here. My role here is to stay positive and I want to make sure that we celebrate King salmon conservation. So we did things like promoting um, ethical handling of, you know, releasing Kings. And we, we did, did some education in that way. And, and just a, you know, just a lot of celebrating the selfless act of letting a King go when you don't have to. And it, and I think that kept some of the divisiveness out of it. Um, so yeah, it's been really successful nowadays. Um, there's a new group of people, some of them, the same people that were anti catch and release before that think that you shouldn't even fish for them because you, uh, you know, there's just not enough of them to even catch and release anymore, which good. I'm not, I'm not saying you should or shouldn't, uh, I support that decision. Um, but now those are the critics. So it's, it's interesting to see how it's evolved, um, over time. Um, and like I said, just try, I'm just trying to stay positive and continue celebrating, uh, any kind of, any form of King salmon conservation at this time. Cause it, boy, the river, um, and the Pacific ocean needs it. Well, good for you, man. You know, oftentimes, um, the public tends to point fingers at the guides too. Um, and, and uh, you know, here's an example of, um, of you kind of, uh, of setting the pace and uh, kind of leading the charge for, for uh, you know, a, a newfound awareness of, of your fishery and um, of these fish that are just irreplaceable. 
and um, they're just an, an iconic uh, part of um, of the entire West Coast, but specifically Alaska and the Kenai River. So kudos to you, man. That's a that's a really um, that's a really cool approach. Yeah, appreciate it. It's been rewarding. I I've I've enjoyed it, um, and I've had a lot of help too. I uh, partnered with a um, uh, another guide. His name's Greg Brush, and he's done a ton of work uh, helping me get to where we are now. So I want to make sure he gets some credit. Um, not that he needs the credit; he doesn't want the credit. But um, but I I would feel remiss not mentioning him here because he's done a lot of work as well. And, you know, between the two of us, we've gathered a bunch of sponsors, you know, even like national sponsors like Rapala, um, uh, Willie boats, which is the most popular aluminum drift boat and power boat up here, Reddington, uh, drift waders. Uh, there's this really cool business called the fish print shop, which you haven't heard of them. You should check them out. Um, a guy that's, uh, he does drawings of, it's, it's almost like the scientific drawings you would see in like a regulation booklet, but way cooler. And he draws them on these big and, and they'll be like life size, you know? So you send them the measurements, you send them a picture and it does a drawing that you can frame super cool, but it's all about, you know, catch and release. Um, it's called the fish print shop. I think he's out of Illinois, but hmm. he gives we'll us some, some prints. Yeah. So <laughs> the way I got to know the, the, that business was, my wife uh, is very into interior decorating. She really enjoys it, and she nice. does, but she does not enjoy dead animals on the wall. And so, right. so, so we don't have sure any, we don't have any fish mounts or anything like that. But she really, really likes this guy's drawings, and so we do have a big, uh, uh, old big king that I caught and released one time on the wall, uh, drawn from the fish print shop. So, so huh. yeah, it's a cool alternative to like a fiberglass mount or a skin mount or you know some of the more traditional ways. So yeah, um, we gathered a bunch of uh, sponsorships. To, so we have a lot of really cool prizes to give away. And um, there's categories like Lady Angler of the Year, Youth Angler of the Year. We have a video um, uh, category, uh, Ethical ethical Release of the Year. Uh, and then we have a new one called Conservationist of the Year, which is given to like a, not necessarily an angler, but a business that supports king salmon conservation. So yeah, man, it's evolved uh, over the years. It's been really good. Oh, that's fantastic, Mark. Um, good for you for leading that charge. Um, well, I mean, obviously we've got a, a lot of uh, partners that, uh, that are, you're working with on that, but that's the fish for the future program. And, and folks can learn more about that at fish for the fish for the future.com, right? Uh, it's, well, it's fish for the future.net. .net. Yep. All spelled yeah. out for F O R fish for the future.net. Cool. And then, um, the best way for folks to learn more about your business, which is, uh, fishology AK is, uh, the same to go to your website, I, I presume. Yeah, there's a lot of information on the website um, at akfishology.com. Um, pretty active on social media, off and on, on um, both Facebook and Instagram. So so check it out there. Um, and of course, anytime folks want to learn more about uh, this area, I'm happy to talk to them. So they can call or email me at akfishology at gmail.com. Okay, AK Fishology. I had that backwards there. Okay, all right, Mark. Well, hey, man, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today, and um, we will be in touch. We're super pumped to come up and fish with you, um, and uh, enjoy Florida because now you're uh, you're a part timer. You're you're like uh, you're like the Costanzas, right? You're <laughs> something like that. I'm not a- 
I know. If people keep saying, oh, you... Del Boca you, Vista. If, there, if there's any, if you see another place for sale in Del Boca Vista, I'm coming down lock, stock, and barrel. <laughs> yeah, come on down. I, I got a lot to figure out down here. I spent, you know, 40 winters or something like that in Alaska. This is my first uh, time getting out of Alaska in the winter for, well, since Montana. And when I met you, actually. Um, and so, yeah, I'm excited. I got a lot to learn, though, down here. I just got a boat and starting to poke around and try to figure some things out and uh, uh the one thing that i know for sure is it's uh, i think it's 75 and sunny today here and back home in soldatna i think it's negative 10 and not sunny so so i'm feeling pretty good about where i'm at right now <laughs> well good on you good on you i'm gonna go stack firewood in the freezing rain so <laughs> enjoy the day out on the boat Go to thefebruaryroom.com where you can access a complete library of our podcast and read more about our guests, their fishing stories, and favorite fly patterns. We're always looking for exceptional fly fishing yarns, and if you have one to spin, shoot us an email at info at thefebruaryroom.com. The February Room is always free, but if you feel like throwing a nickel in the pond, we appreciate any additional listener support. For companies and individuals interested in sponsorship opportunities, please contact us for our media kit. Thanks for stopping by the February Room, and we'll see you down here next week.